0: Our Lord, God and Savior, King of us all, Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, to him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, But His disciples, He left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but He needed to go through Samaria. So He came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to His son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore, being wearied from His journey, sat Thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to Him, How is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I might not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said. I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one, who, the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our father's words is on the mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming, when we will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said, her, I who speak to you, am He? And at this point His disciples came and they marveled that He talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pots, and went her way into the city and said to the man, Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then he went out of the city and came, then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say that there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. Then he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe not because of what you said, For we ourselves have heard Him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Father and Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. This is the Sunday of the Samaritan Woman, one of the most famous uh, gospel readings that we read throughout the year. Actually, we read the Samaritan Woman three times during the year. We read uh, this this passage during Lent, we read it during the Holy Fifty Days, and we read it uh, on the day of Pentecost. The story of the Samaritan woman at the well has a lot of really powerful uh, lessons for us. This story is coming right after. In the Gospel of St. John, right after our Lord Jesus Christ's interaction with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he was a, a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a really prominent Jewish person, and he was asking Christ about salvation and about baptism. And then in chapter 4, which is a Samaritan woman, read about his conversation with this woman at the well. And she is actually an extraordinary person. She is a Samaritan, which is a group of people that the, the Jewish people hated. And the story of the woman at the well teaches us that God loves us in spite of our lives that we very often live in opposition to Him. God values us enough to actively seek us, to welcome us into closeness and intimacy, to rejoice in our worship. There are a bunch of valuable truths that we can learn from this story. First thing or that I wanted to mention is that it's clear from this passage that only through our Lord Jesus Christ can we obtain and receive eternal life. Right, Our Lord Jesus Christ, He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. And He says, indeed the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. So anybody who is telling you that there is salvation outside of our Lord Jesus Christ goes against scripture, goes against tradition, goes against the teachings of the church. Second thing that it teaches us is that our Lord Jesus Christ is ministering to the outcasts of Jewish society. It shows that people are valuable to God, all people are valuable to God, and that He desires for us to also demonstrate love to everyone, even people who we consider our enemies. He teaches, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, that people who worship God need to worship Him in spirit and truth. And When we come to worship Christ, our testimony about Christ, what He's done with us, our experiences with Him, are powerful tools in leading others to believe. It says in the passage that many Samaritans from that town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony, He told me everything I ever did. And because of that, the Samaritans came, they learned from Him, they urged Him to stay. And at the end they said that now we know that this person is the savior of the world. We learn also a bunch of things about our salvation from our our Lord Jesus Christ's dialogue with the Samaritan woman. First that our salvation comes or salvation comes only to those of us who recognize our need for God. The living water can only be obtained if you perceive yourself to be thirsty. If we think we have everything we need, and we don't bother to ask Christ, I'm going to leave empty-handed. Salvation also comes only to those who confess and repent of their sins and desire forgiveness. The time of the past is especially a time for us to come to grips with our sin, to confront it and to remove it from our lives. It's nice to compare, like I said in the beginning, the Samaritan woman uh Encounter comes a chapter after Nicodemus. And if you compare the two, it's interesting. Nicodemus, of course, is a man, and the Samaritan was a woman. Nicodemus was an Orthodox conservative Jew. The woman was a Samaritan, which is basically a Jewish heretic. Nicodemus was a prominent, highly regarded leader. This woman was well known too, but kind of for the wrong reasons. She had a bad reputation. Nicodemus sought out his opportunity to speak with Christ, while the Samaritan woman just sort of happened to meet with him. So it seemed like all of the things for success, all the pluses are in favor of Nicodemus. But there are some other things. Nicodemus for example was not reported to have immediately converted. We know for sure by the end of our Lord Jesus Christ's life that Nicodemus was a follower. But it not say anything in the beginning about him being immediately converted. While the faith of the woman is immediate and very evident. The conversation with Nicodemus had no immediate impact on the lives of his peers. Right, He was a member of the Sanhedrin, but he wasn't able to convince any of them to follow Christ. But the woman brought back nearly the entire city with her testimony. And they even invited our Lord Jesus Christ to stay. So as Christ is passing through Samaria going from Judea to Galilee, you know, Christ is tired, He's hungry, He's thirsty, And the disciples leave him by a well so that they can go and get provisions. And he comes in the middle of the day and the Samaritan woman is coming to draw water. And of course we know that the normal time to get water would be either in the morning or in the evening when it's a little bit cooler. Uh, But she's going in in the middle of the day probably to avoid people. And when our Lord Jesus Christ asks this woman for a drink, she's completely caught off guard. And she says, you know, Jews don't really deal with Samaritans. Why didn't the Jews deal with, deal with Samaritans? The Samaritan theology was much, much different than sort of Orthodox Judaism. Samaritans, for example, they only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament. They rejected the book of Psalms, the prophets, other books of the Old Testament. When the Babylonian uh, exiles returned from the Holy Land, the Samaritans sort, sort of made efforts to merge with the people around them. And they made a center of worship in a different mountain, not in Jerusalem. And they tampered with the scriptures to sort of uh, substantiate their theology. So Christ had a number of barriers to overcome in order to speak with this woman. First of course the fact that it would be improper for a rabbi to speak in public to a young woman. Secondly, like I was mentioning the barrier of faith. Third was a barrier of lifestyle. Right, she's coming in the middle of the, of the day. Typically, like I said, they're coming either in the, in the morning or in the evening when it's cooler. She was coming in the heat of the day because she wanted to avoid everyone. Because she was not somebody who was really proud at that moment of her life. But Christ cuts through all these barriers and He talks to her about living water. This is the first time that Christ talks about living water. The other time is in John chapter 7. And He says in John chapter 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. But this he spoke of the Spirit, those of whom who believed in him were deceived, for the Spirit was not yet given, for Christ, for Jesus was not yet glorified. So when he's talking about the living water, he's speaking about the Holy Spirit. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit. So the, the, the woman, when he's speaking to the woman, and he's talking about the word thirst, talking about how she's thirsty, the Samaritan woman in the beginning is ignorant of these things. She's ignorant of a lot of things, who Christ was, she's ignorant of what he had to offer. She's ignorant of how she could receive it. In verses 13 and 14, he's saying that the water that people are gonna drink is not gonna satisfy them any more than bread will satisfy you forever. It's gonna be something that's gonna sustain you for a short period of time. Whoever continues to drink of that water or if anything that the world has to offer is going to discover again that they are thirsty. The things of the world are not gonna completely satisfy. So then when she realizes, okay, Christ has something special, He says, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty and come to drink. She says, I want to get this kind of water. I don't want to be constantly thirsty and draw from the well. I want something quick and easy. So she's still not fully understanding. She's thinking that there's some magical supply of special water that she won't have to visit the well anymore. But then, as she continues to speak with him, He tries to penetrate deeper. He says, go and call your husband. And the woman answers honestly, she says she has no husband. And our Lord Jesus Christ commends her. He says, you have spoken truly, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The fact that she's married five times shows that she's gone through sort of the legal process five times, and that she longed for fulfillment in her life, and she sought for this intensely. And then at that point the woman says, okay, I think you're a prophet. She recognizes him as a prophet because she's able to, he's able to see things that they don't know, that they don't understand. He can read her heart. So our Lord cuts through the, the cover-up by informing her she's technically correct. She doesn't have a husband. And he's not number one, he's actually number six. But he doesn't shame her. The woman's awareness of whom she's talking to continues to grow. He was a Jewish person, but he was not a typical Jewish person. He claimed to be greater than Jacob who brought the well. He spoke with divine insight. So then the woman gets uncomfortable and she changes the subject. And brings about a conversation about a theological issue. Where is the right place for us to worship? Where we worship as Samaritans or in Jerusalem where the Jews worship? And our Lord Jesus Christ answered, He says, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. He's saying it's not a question or it's not going to be a question of where are you going to worship. Actually, the temple, neither temple, had pure and undefiled worship. The time when pure and undefiled offerings were offered in the temple of God was only a really brief period in the history of Israel. In the time of Solomon, there was even corruption. Later on, there was corruption and idolatry within the temple. There were a few good kings in between, like Josiah when he cleansed the temple and reformed. But most of the time, the place of worship was combined with the correct worship of the living God with some sort of idol worship or sin. So she talks about where should we worship. And our Lord Jesus Christ is responding saying, like that controversy doesn't compare in importance to how you worship and whom you worship. How and whom are much more important than where. He says, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. In other words, it's not going to be the location that makes an act of worship authentic. Worship is not just an external act that you can accomplish just by going to the right place. No matter how holy that place is. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, our Lord Jesus Christ says, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. So worship is first and foremost an experience of the heart. Prayer without our heart is in vain. Songs without our heart is in vain. Confession, creeds, liturgies, sermons that don't come from the heart are empty and are worthless in God's eyes. So our Lord Jesus Christ says to the woman, don't get caught up in irrelevant controversies. How you worship is much, much more important than where. And then in verse 22, He introduces the question of Whom do you worship? You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. So, don't get me wrong about what I said, yes, worship has to come from the heart, but it still should be done according to what God is prescribing. And when all our efforts to sort of be gentle and sensitive and respectful of other people's religions are done, the time eventually comes when you have to say, worship has to be based on the biblical pattern of true worship, and the pattern established by our Lord Jesus Christ and His Apostles. And if you do not worship in that way, your worship is false. That sometimes when we speak this way, could be thrown back in your face as a statement of sort of like arrogance. But it's not. If there's truth, and you've bowed humbly before this truth, then to persuade someone else to bow humbly with you is not arrogance. It's love. The Samaritans rejected all of the Old Testament, except for their version of the books of Moses. Their knowledge of God was deficient. So then their worship was deficient. In 2 Kings, it actually it says, these nations are worshiping the Lord and at the same time serving their idols. Their sons and grandsons do just as their fathers have done to this very day. So they had a corrupt version of God and a corrupt version of worship. You worship what you do not know. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ says. And to tell them so was an act of love by Christ. So in verses 21 and 22, our Lord Jesus Christ directs the woman's attention away from the external question of where to the internal question of how and then the theological question of who. Worship has to be vital, living, real from within. And has to be based on the correct perception of God. And he sums this up by saying that they should, we should worship in spirit and truth. The hour is coming when, his worship, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Worshipping in spirit is the opposite of worshipping in like ex- just external ways. Worshipping in truth is the opposite of worship based on an inadequate or incorrect view of God. So when we put them together, the words spirit and truth mean that real worship comes from our hearts within and is based on true views of God. Worship must have heart and worship must have our mind. Worship worship should engage our emotions and engage our thoughts. Truth without emotion produces a sort of dead orthodoxy and a church full of unspiritual believers. Emotion without truth produces empty feelings, cultivates sort of a flakiness in our spirituality. People who reject discipline of rigorous thinking. True worship comes from people who are, have a deep emotional and spiritual connection with whom they are worshipping. Worship has to be within the confines of truth. The Samaritans worshipped in ignorance. They worshipped what they did not know, according to Christ. Samaritan worship was deviating from the revealed truth that God gave the people of how to worship. Since God is the object of our worship, He and He alone has the right to determine how we worship Him. This is one of the things we should be happy and take pride in our Orthodox Church. We do not change our worship and the ways we worship based on the whims of the people. Even based on the whims of Sort of even even prominent people, even clergy, we worship how we have received from our forefathers, who received from their fathers, who received from the apostles, who received from Christ. It's not for us to determine how we worship. It is God we're worshiping. we're not worshiping ourselves. So at the end of the conversation, it finally sort of turns to the subject of the Messiah. The Samaritan, just like the Jews are looking for the Messiah. And so she says, talking about, you know, I think the Messiah is this Messiah. Some people are saying the Messiah is going to come. And our Lord Jesus Christ answers, and he and she says, and he says to her, "I who speak to you am He. I'm the person who you're looking for." Our Lord Jesus Christ was seeking this woman so that she would become one of the people who would worship the Father in spirit and truth. While the woman was inviting the townspeople to the, to the well after she was converted, the disciples came and they're urging Jesus to partake of food. And our Lord Jesus Christ took this opportunity to instruct them actually about evangelism. And He talks to them or wants to talk to them about the area of priorities. In a sense, actually, how the disciples acted was uh, basically uh, a recounting of the temptation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's like, you need to eat. Come and eat. They're more concerned about eating than about evangelism, about the Word of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, sort of reminded them, doing the will of God is more important than eating. Going back to the conversation, comparing the conversation of the Samaritan woman with Nicodemus. Like I said before, there was no immediate results really with Jesus and Nicodemus. If you and I were to have been asked, let's predict which evangelistic effort would produce more fruit, you would for sure put your money on the kadeemahs. But it's the conversation with this woman that led to the conversion of an entire city. And then another important point to point out, it was the woman's testimony that convinced the Samaritans that our Lord Jesus Christ was the Messiah. But her words were like, Nothing compared to the words of Christ himself. When he couldn't stay, when Christ couldn't stay in Judea, the Samaritans told him to stay with them, and he stayed a few days. And when they stayed, and he talked to them, and they said, now we believe not because of what you said, but for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So our evangelistic efforts should point people towards Christ not towards ourselves this woman pointed these people to Christ and Christ gained them also it's interesting to, to keep in mind our Lord Jesus Christ is preaching a lot to the Jewish people and the Jewish people are rejecting him the Jewish people are saying we know better the Samaritans if you look at the last verse that we read we know that this indeed is the Christ the Savior of the world the whole city is convinced that this is the Savior. So we have to be careful not to make uh, quick judgments about people. The Samaritans would never be the ones you would guess, would be the ones who would believe in Christ. This woman would not be the one you would guess to be converted, to be a, a follower of Christ. But in fact she was a follower of Christ, not only a follower of Christ, but an evangelist, and actually eventually uh, her name is Saint Fatina, she's a martyr in the church. And so we learn from the Samaritan woman Many, many, many lessons. We will learn how to worship Christ. We learn not to judge a book by its cover. We learn about the love of God for everyone, even the outcasts of society. May God help us to worship Him in spirit and truth. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.